0: What's up everyone? Welcome to episode 149 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnson from Mike'sLessons.com and my co-host will be joining me shortly is Mr. Mike Dawson, Managing Editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. I don't know if you can hear all the tapping in the background, but I am in the middle of drum camp right now, so I do apologize for any extra noise. Here's what's coming up today. First of all, Mike and I are going to get all caught up, but after we do that, in our educational section, we'll be talking about fallback plans. Do you need a fallback plan when you're deciding to make drumming your career? Our featured artist this time is Mr. Simon Phillips. In our gear review section, we'll be checking out the Soundbrenner Pulse metronome. We'll get you a bunch of listener questions. Are you sure we should give you a piece? I was so close
1: to nailing that. That was Michael Reichman on the intro beat, and apparently he is doing something where he used a metronome and just added filters and delay and modulation. Pretty cool, pretty creative. I that's awesome.
0: It. Definitely. Yeah, that's it. really cool. And it gave us, it gave us a song. yeah right exactly so that's Michael
1: Reichman did he give us his no he's not the outro guy gave us his Instagram handle so Michael Reichman he's playing a DW collector series kit no yes performance series kit collector series uh, nickel over brass snare got some peisty cymbals Um, I don't know what he means by signature traditionals medium light hi-hats upside down with a DIY hi-hat jingles
0: yeah, maybe he used the bottom hat on top and uh, top hat on bottom. Cool.
1: And then his effects his, uh, hats are a 2002 10-inch splash over a PSTX swish thin crash. So it's a 10-inch splash over a 16-inch crash.
0: Cool stuff. Nice. Yeah, man. And the coolest thing is we're getting intro submissions from Austria. That's right. The podcast is global. I love it. You ever done a clinic in Austria? Have you been to that territory? Ooh. I've been there. I've played there uh, when I was touring, but I've never done a clinic there now. Okay. I've never left the United States. That's how uncool I am. (laughs) So you know for a fact that you've never done a clinic there. Yeah. And for the Austrian listeners, if I have done a clinic there and I'm just misremembering, uh, I do apologize. Your country is amazing, and I had a blast there. Thank you so much for your hospitality. (laughs) Uh, It all kind of blurs together. I was telling, I've got a a student here. So I'm in my third. Fourth. I'm in my fourth drum camp right now of the summer. This is an advanced camp, and I've, we've got a student here from Denmark, and I was trying to help him understand that generally Americans are not intelligent enough to know what a map looks like. So I'm like, you have to understand, to me, you just live in Europe. It's I, don't know where, I don't know where Denmark is. I mean, I know it's Europe, but I don't know where it is. Exactly, exactly. And you're, so <laughs> ridiculous. You're a seven-hour flight closer to them than I am. So it's like, I have no idea, <laughs> bro. Uh, but uh, but yeah, so uh, I'm actually uh, headed over to Europe in August. I'll be going back to the 21 Drums Drum Camp, and this time we added Keith Carlock, so that'll be a blast. Nice. And then uh, in uh, in exactly... Not exactly. In about two and a half weeks, I'm out of here for for two weeks. I'm headed off to China, Taiwan, Thailand, and Indonesia. So for all of our Asian students out there or Asian listeners out there, I will be in Shaman, China on July 17th, Hangzhou, China, July 18th, Hefei, China, July 19th, then Taipei, Taiwan on the 23rd of July, Bangkok, Thailand on the 25th, and Jakarta, Indonesia on the 27th, and those will all be two-hour-long uh, clinics, nice. We should uh, let everyone know that we will have shows airing while
1: you're out, but um, we're doing this ahead of time, so they might seem mm-hmm. a little, maybe a little frantic because we're going to be doubling up a couple days. But <laughs>
0: and we'll have to, we'll have to predict the future. Like, oh my God, yeah, Dave let just sign with Ludwig. I hope. <laughs> maybe we should do <laughs> nothing with fake facts. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. <laughs> uh, we could do the Trump podcast. I'll just be like, ah, yeah, I guess I heard the Sabian folded. What? No, maybe I'm wrong. No, that's right. They're huge. I don't know. Whatever you feel like, go for it. Uh, But yeah, so uh, for any of you guys over there, I'm really excited to go there. Now, you are new to doing clinics. We talked about this a little bit last week, but uh, you're getting into that clinic world. Can you imagine a two-hour clinic where you can't speak? No. And if you do, it has to be translated into like one little sentence chunks. Ugh.
1: No, I think f- I would probably have an hour of performance material prepared and just, yeah, just hope for rip. the best. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah it's gonna uh, it's gonna be tough. So I'm still still working that stuff out, but I'm excited for the challenge. It, it should be a lot of fun. So between that and uh, the camp right now, uh, it's uh, it's a lot of drums, man. And I just got a whole new batch of cymbals, so I realized that. Uh, we were doing our last camp and one of the artists here, uh, Tyler Zarzika, he's a Zildjian artist. And so we're getting and he's obviously totally cool. He's at, he signed up for drum camp, so he knows that there's gonna be minor stuff. But we were doing the recording stuff, and he's like, Hey, I'm honestly just not that familiar with minel. I've been a Zildjian artist for a long time. What what would be the equivalent to Zildjian cymbals? And I said, Well, what do you play? And he told me, and he plays beautiful zildjian symbols, you know, a lot of K's and mm-hmm. a lot of, uh, and some crobes. And I said, oh yeah, I don't have anything like that. Uh, cause all I have is artsy stuff. Mm-hmm. So I called Chris Brewer and I'm like, Hey man, uh, I don't have any symbols that sound like symbols. He's like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I, I keep asking you to send me things with designs on them and look like they just got you know taken out of the earth after being buried for six years. And he's like, okay, I'll send you some symbol symbols. So I just got a batch of uh Byzance traditionals But but a a ton of cool stuff, like 19-inch thin crashes and 15-inch hats, and then 22-inch medium ride. I got like some normal symbols too, Uh, 18-inch medium thin crash. Holy hell! I I gotta say, uh, I'm not saying this as a minor artist, but we were recording yesterday with some of these symbols, and I forgot, I forgot that era where symbols sounded like symbols. Right,
1: (laughs) they had had some things. (laughs)
0: Yeah. And I was like, "Damn, that sounds like an album." <laughs> it's like, "Oh yeah, that's what they sample when they make symbols." Uh, so yeah, it was it was really cool. So nice. I'm having some fun with that. And uh, yeah, the 15 inch medium hats, which would be 15 inch, you know, Zildjian K's, K's yeah. or 15 inch uh, artisan K or artisans if you're in Sabian, maybe or maybe uh, what would be like the equivalent in Sabian, like HH maybe. Uh,
1: yeah, HH or the, uh, the artisans probably pretty accurate. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah so something like that i mean they just recorded so well i was like oh my gosh i forgot about that so. you know speaking of uh my old byzance users i
1: interviewed one of my favorite drummers in the world over the weekend jp gaster from clutch Ooh man and i met up with him at Clutch's uh, rehearsal space space slash warehouse slash record label uh in frederick okay. my hometown in frederick maryland for wow a of hours yeah that's Super cool. cool and he's using a lot of, he's using all byzance um and yeah. I, I'm looking at his kit right now. I think he has a 24 inch traditional ride that he uses most of the time. Wow, medium crash, but he gets big, awesome sounds. I love his
0: sounds. Yeah, man, and that's a that's a huge. Uh, I remember you know uh, talking to Chris Brewer about that the the American or the US A&R for Meinl, and I mean Chris is a huge fan of that stuff. So when he signs people, he's usually a fan of who he's signing, mm-hmm. and that was one of those ones where you would think the 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 A&R for a symbol company would be like, oh, man, and we have Benny Greb and Anna Canillis. And he's like, dude, we have JP from Clutch. <laughs> I'm like, wait, are you getting that confused with JP Bouvet? He's not in Clutch. He's like, no, JP Gasser from Clutch. And I'm like, that's so cool that you're a fan of the people you're signing. I mean, he was so excited about that. Yeah. Uh, I mean so it's in, pretty cool.
1: hanging out with him for a couple of hours, he is exactly what I was hoping. He's a student oh, of the drum cool. he's you know a student of, of of music history but he's not too nerdy about it he's got a really good perspective and it makes sense with for me clutch is one of those bands that just, it just it sounds super hip and cool and relevant regardless of what era you're in and right. they because they're just so honest and just you know it's guitar bass drums vocals there's, there's they're yeah. not they're not deviating too much from that and big drum sounds just that's cool. yeah it was a lot of fun i love it so that'll be. So when does that a, story come that's out? That's a couple issues from now. I'm kind of giving the, the scoop on myself, but I just had to share <laughs> it. He used a uh, Gretsch Brooklyn series kit in the studio. Ooh, how'd it sound? Uh, the record sounds amazing. They were. They, uh, nice. It was produced by Vance Powell, who okay. did a. Uh, he did a lot of Jack White stuff and you know, some stuff coming out of Nashville that's got a real kind of interesting sound. So they went pretty aggressive. The drums are pretty gnarly. It's awesome. Cool.
0: And you feel like they're real drums, not replaced? All oh, zero, It's all live. They tracked oh, that's everything so live. Cool. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. I can't wait to hear it. Yeah. Super cool. So anyway, all right, that well, would a couple let's issues. Let's talk about... Okay. I believe, I believe you. <laughs> you guys didn't see, but he he, he threw his hands up Punching in the air in the... and like, punched the screen. He was so excited. Uh, so let's talk about fallback plans. And this is something that I think every, not even just musician, every artist goes through... There's this moment as you're trying to make the decision, are you going to pursue this as a career? And you're leaving the hobby level behind. And then the parents get involved. And the parents <laughs> say, but what are you going to do if this doesn't work out? And that's a that. And I can tell you right now, and maybe you've had to go through this with a couple of your students, but as a private drum instructor, I've had to have that conversation a couple hundred times because. I'm the bad influence that's pushing this 17 year old to take a chance on him or herself. And the parents are like, what are you doing? She was in line to, you know, mm. go here with a scholarship and be a lawyer. And I'm like, ah, she doesn't want to do that. <laughs> you know, your son or your daughter, like when they play drums, they light up. And like, why would you not want them to pursue that? And, and I, you and I are both not parents. So we can only assume that a parent is thinking, I don't want my child to die. Yeah, right. I just want them to have something <laughs> to fall back on. So Russ Miller wrote an article in the current issue of MD about fallback plans.
1: Yeah, and he took, a, you know, he took a pretty pretty strong stance about being honest with yourself. So one of the subheadings is where do you live and how good are you? I think that's a question you kind of have to ask yourself. Like, can mm-hmm. you actually make a living where you currently reside? And then are you at a level, an ability level, where you actually can compete for the gigs that will give you enough money to then be able to support yourself? Those are pretty tough questions. I've, I've had to make those, yeah. have those conversations with some really close friends and some of which were just a little bit delusional about the fact that they could become a huge star from a middle of nowhere location. I'm like, if you're trying to do that thing, you've got to go where that thing is being done and it's not here, but they didn't want to yeah. hear it that's a tough one.
0: Yeah, that, that can be tough. I mean, it's almost like you can then relocate to the middle of nowhere once you've made it, once you have the name and people are saying, well, we just need you on the road with us for a year, so I don't really care where you live. Yeah. But you, you won't get picked up to go on the road for a year until you're in the mix of things. So you are somebody that I think found a balance somewhere where you have a job that you actually have to show up to a place you have a boss you have all those things but yet you're still playing drum set you're reviewing drums you're in the mix so let me ask you this is maybe a little too introspective for a podcast but do you feel like modern drummer is your fallback plan or do you feel like you're living your dream
1: Ah, man how deep do you want to go i question my life decision probably on a Monthly cycle and every. Do you way. really? Oh yeah, everything. Okay. So I'm, sometimes I'm thinking I was never meant to be. I'm trying to be a drummer when I was never meant to be a drummer, or I've <laughs> sacrificed too much of my own artistic side in order to make a living. It's okay. it's a constant struggle. I mean, it's some days I'm like, yeah, I could do this, and then I'm like, no, like I, I'm you know looking, can I sh- can I get a job at some corporation that'll just be a no brainer mm. gig, and then I don't have to think about all this stuff so much. It happens all wow. the time, and okay. it goes all the way back to the beginning. I mean, I I went to college for music, but I had to be a music ed major. That was the only way that my parents would support it, because I okay. literally made a decision my senior year that my entire childhood, I wanted to be a doctor. And then senior year of high school, my private teacher and my band director pulled me aside and said, you really should consider pursuing music. You've got the talent. You've got the gift for it. And I thought, okay, I can go to school for twelve years to be a doctor, or I can go to school for four <laughs> years and be a music teacher. So,
0: okay, I went to so college. So even for then, you weren't thinking I'm going to college to become a famous rock star drummer. You were still thinking it will have a paid job somewhere at the end of the road. Here,
1: yeah, I think it, probably my ultimate goal would have been land a full time college job. That was kind okay. of like that would have been like the perfect situation for me to teach college full time, have my summers off, still be playing drums, right. making music. Um, but then I found out that you need a doctorate really to get those jobs too. So mm. by the time I got done my undergrad and I had a music ed degree, I was pretty burnt on that whole thing, and I knew I didn't want to be a band director. So I made that choice kind of not correctly. <laughs> you know, I knew it, There was I was <laughs> not going to be a band director so much to the point where I let my teaching certificate
0: expire. Like I didn't really move, like. I'm just never going to do public school. It's just not. Okay. It's not going to happen. Um, so um, yeah. I want to. I want to go back real quick. You made a really good point about what maybe a lot of drummers that are trying to make a living go through, which is you said that maybe you've sacrificed some of your art, artistic integrity and your artistic nature to make a living playing drums. And I think that that's a really good point that has to be made. A lot of times, if you're going to try to get paid for your art, you're going to have to do something that's very non-artistic. So, if, yeah, if how you're do you get paid de- right away? Yeah, exactly. So, how yeah. do you develop? you know how are you going to develop your artistic voice if you're playing you know cover band gigs every night to make a living and you're trying your best to hold the pocket and make people dance but they don't want to hear your you know nine splash cymbal setup (laughs) and your artistic take on things um and so i think that that's a tough thing too you're trying to become you're trying to break out of this scene that has so many drummers in it and trying to have your own voice but to make a living you kind of have to you know, homogenize it yeah. and not have an, your own voice. So, um, and it seems like just in the last two years and I've known you for quite a while now, just in the last two years, you've found that it's almost like Instagram gave you a platform to finally have your voice. You still do your paid gigs. You still have your job at job at MD and it's, it's almost like just recently things kind of came into this like full level career where you are expressing yourself artistically, you have a job that's in the drum industry and one that you're very good at. And then you're also playing with people where you're doing the pop session work and you're doing the, the, the gigs that where you're not stretching out drum wise, you know? So how do you feel right now at this point?
1: It's getting there. But I think, I think here's, here's kind of how my whole thing has progressed. I was always being offered different jobs and being hired to do certain things, recording, gigging, whatever. And then if I get hired for something for someone else, that takes precedent over everything else. So at no point am I going to say, sorry, I can't do this show because I have to work on a song for my solo record that might never, never come out. Like, that's just the decision I've made. Early on, it just I just couldn't I couldn't turn down work to say now nah, I can gonna, afford to turn it down. Yeah, yeah. I am going to go practice some stuff that has nothing to do with anything right. that's being offered. Like there weren't any opportunities. You know, Christian McBride wasn't coming over and saying, "Hey man, let's just jam." <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, that that, that would have forced me down a different direction, and I just didn't sure. feel like I could make the choice. Like, no, I am only going to do my own stuff. Like, no one was interested in that at the time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I do think having the fact that I have. I decided again with social media, I purposely stayed off it because my, my thing was with Modern Drummer and I didn't want to feel like there's any kind of conflict of self promotion based on Modern Drummer or whatever. But once I kind of dug into it, I'm like, all right, this, this, is, this is not only is it giving me an outlet, but it's forcing me to say, okay, explore your own stuff because you can't just yeah. play the same beat every day. You can't play right. you know, what you're playing on Friday night on Instagram every single day. So having right. that was nice. I mean, it, it's forced me to say, okay, every time it's got to be something different. You can't repeat yourself, and and that and, and I'm hitting that point where I'm like, I'm repeating myself. So it's again, like, <laughs> what the it's hell are you doing? <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's funny. I've had the, I've never had a question about what I'm doing. I knew that teaching was it, but I have every once in a while questioned whether I wanted to do it long term in this industry. Because mm. even you know, if I'm consulting. A drummer on their career, I'm like, man, I should be at, I, I could do this at a corporation. And, uh, I, I, sometimes I wonder, could I be delivering education in a, maybe in an industry that has 10 million people rather than a hundred thousand people and mm-hmm. grow it and grow, grow, grow. But then I think about the people I'd be dealing with on a daily basis. And right now the, my peers, my idols and my students are all drummers that's who i deal with yeah that's awesome i don't know that i want to deal with silicon valley guy and then you know public speaker guy when i was doing the public speaking thing for just a few short years the reason i'm not doing that anymore is i had a really hard time dealing with like the dudes backstage at public speaking conferences and the dudes backstage at a drum festival are very different <laughs> and i didn't fit in well at one of them i have <laughs> I a, like i mean i have a a really hard i guess i you know i i read catcher
1: on the ride too many times but i have a real hard time with, with the fakeness of that industry like yes to go up and it just was be tough, motivational man. when maybe your own life is a wreck like that i'm like nah man
0: nah <laughs> stay, yeah stay no ahead. it was tough it was really it was really tough and you're right it it was kind of like fitness guru guy that's 96 pounds overweight yeah. i'm like, because <laughs> I, I I would be backstage with these guys that are about to go give a speech to people that paid $1,000 per seat to be in the room. And they're going to tell them what to do with social media. And then I look them up. I'm like, bro, you got 11 likes on your last post. (laughs) Why are you telling everybody what to do with social media? And it's like, oh, because you have charisma. You just just talked your way into this job because you can handle yourself on a microphone. You can handle yourself on a stage. And I kind of felt a little bit of that imposter syndrome in the public speaking thing going – am I here because I've accomplished anything or am I here just because I'm the one drummer you could find that could handle a microphone handle stage presence and that vibe and it's like I don't know if I want to really pursue this so getting back to the fallback plan thing I think that that moment where you're trying to decide what to do with your life as an artist whether you're gonna pursue it as a career it is tough I know for me i I didn't have a fallback plan but i I did have an out and you are l- Currently, right now, you have the option that was presented to me. So I think I've talked about this on the podcast once before, but I was 17 years old, senior in high school. Parents couldn't afford college, like university. I could definitely go to uh, community college. Uh, So my dad just presented me with a choice, which was go to the military and have them pay for college and Mm. do that, or commit to the drums full-time, and my dad gave me about a year. He's like... By this time next year, the drums have to pay for your life, and if that—if you can do that—I'll go to bat with the family. No one will ever get on your case about being a drummer. They'll never say when are you going to get a real job. They'll never say when are you going to take life seriously. I will fend off the family if you can do this. But the—the the choice that was given to me was—he just straight up said, "I don't care if you tech them, tune them, sell them." build them or play them. The drums have to pay for your life. So what happened in my mind was I said, yeah, I'll do that. All of those. (laughs) So I got a job at a music store. I gigged every night that I could. I was teching people's drums in the studio, get, you know, for 50 bucks, I'll tune up your drums for you. I was recording drums for friends for a hundred bucks. And then I was teaching and then that turned into an income. So I kind of feel like the fallback plan can be in your industry, where yeah. it's like, okay, my fallback plan is I'll do cover gigs. I'd much rather be a you know, I'd much rather be Josh Freeze. Yeah. But if I can't do that, I'm gonna fall back on cover gigs. But the thing is, like, you're at Modern Drummer right now, I'm looking behind you and you've got a poster of Quest Love and you've got a symbol sitting on the ground. It's like, dude, yeah. things could be a lot worse, <laughs> right? Like, you could be like the you know I don't want to call it anybody's job that's like, "Oh, that's what I'm doing right now, but it could be a lot worse so i I don't really know that I consider doing things inside your world of art that isn't your top dream. I don't really consider that a fallback plan. i, I consider that a smart way to become an artist and live as an artist,
1: yeah, I mean yeah, I guess it's it's kind of gray, but you know I admire for sure someone like Travis Barker, who in an interview years ago said he got tattoos all the way up to his chin. Therefore he could never get a real job like that. It forced him to be a professional drummer. I'm going to cover Mm. myself in tattoos and have a mohawk. Therefore at no point can I say, well, maybe I'll go do something else. (laughs) Right, right. Like kind of removed all options. Yeah. I admire that. But I also think the people that I've met that are that way, there is literally nothing else they can do. Or that would be, I mean, that's what they were meant to do. I feel like there's a certain, some people yeah. are only meant to do what they're, they're doing and that's that's it they are right. chasing their own path but most of us could kind of go in different directions and i think that's where it it gets... being
0: gray it's it's gray because how many of us know people that look just like Travis Barker and it didn't work out <laughs> right <laughs> you know so it's like that's why it's gray is cuz it's like well i have Travis Barker to look up to and then i have these nine blink fans that look just like Travis that play drums and they said the same thing cause they read Travis saying that and they're struggling. And so it's like, ah, dang it. It's never clear. And that's when someone like you as a teacher, me as a teacher, or for me, Pete Magadini, somebody comes to us and says, look, in case someone hasn't told you yet, I see drummers all day long. You have a gift. You know, I, I don't know what I'd be doing in my life right now if Pete didn't say I know you're touring, I know you have the dream or what you think the dream is, but you don't enjoy it as much as you enjoy teaching. You will be more successful long term if you follow your passion, and your passion is explaining things to people. If he didn't say that to me, I don't know that I would have ever recognized it in myself. Because I would have kept trying to make my dad proud, like Dad, I'm I'm on a tour bus. I'm yeah, right. I'm in I'm in China today. Um, you know, mom, check out what I'm doing. You know, I would have been trying to make everyone else around me proud through my drumming and through the accomplishments. But it wasn't satisfying me personally. So it is a gray area for sure.
1: Yeah, I guess I can blame my high school band director and private teacher for for thwarting my plans of being a uh, a brain surgeon was my ultimate goal. <laughs> Damn them. But, you know, I mean, that's the thing. I knew deep down that I didn't want to do that. I mean, it was just something I thought was really interesting. And I, and I think it kind of clued into just my my curiosity for research and science but to actually go and do the work and memorize all those details about anatomy and chemistry and like nah i think i just want to play drums.
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's so funny man it's 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 kind of crazy too because when you think about choosing drums as a career you think like i'm gonna play drums every day for the rest of my life it's that's so cool and it's like you have no idea how much more work it is in the long term to be an artist as a profession cuz if you choose to be a chiropractor, maybe you're going to have some rough years of school. But at some point, it's like, cool, yeah.
1: I'm here. You have your career.
0: You're good. Paycheck is steady. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I'm 41 and doubt myself every 36 seconds. <laughs> maybe I'm just not meant to. Maybe I'm the worst drummer that ever lived. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's reassuring yeah. when my heroes kind of say the same thing. Like, right. like
1: I I know Vinny Cayuta has said that the way he why he plays the way he plays is because he's afraid of you know failing, not living up to his own expectations. And it's always right. this edginess of, am
0: I good enough to do what I'm currently doing? If he yeah, feels I, that I, way, I th- then I think it's right. okay. <laughs> when I just had broken—well, I would say, honestly, around the time that Modern Drummer put me on the cover, that was when it was like, okay, cool— The drum industry has finally taken this thing that I'm doing on the internet seriously. Everything's cool. That was when I first started getting calls from some of my idols, and they were just saying, I'm thinking about hanging it up, man. I'm like, Mm. dude, I have your autograph. What are you talking about? And they're like, well, I just, and they would always say the same thing I just suck. I'm like, (laughs) 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 oh. Oh, if I could only suck half as bad as you, like, that'd be so great. Like, um, So, yeah, it, that part's endless. The self-doubt is endless. We've talked about that a million times on this podcast. That never goes away. All, all that happens is you learn how to combat it. Combat it? Combat it faster, and you're yeah. able to just talk yourself out of it quicker, and you know that it's not real. Uh, but I think the fallback plan thing is still kind of tough as far as, yes, one of the best ways to make a living at something that's risky is to give yourself no outs and just say, I'm doing it. Yeah, I'm moving to Nashville. To, I'm moving to New be, York. To do that, you've but, got to ooh. know that you've got the gift. You have to know yes. it. You
1: can't say, yeah, I'm good or I'm pretty good or, man, I'm awesome. No. And I have never actually put yourself side by side with someone who is truly awesome. Like there's a certain amount of that self-reflection. You've got to say, am I really as good as I think I am? And, mm-hmm. you know, is it really? I think that's what helps to have a teacher or a mentor say, you actually are. Like, go do it.
0: Yeah, for sure. Like I said, without Pete, I don't know what I'd be doing right now. And that was just something very important. All right. So uh, you guys can read more about that in the current issue of Modern Drummer. That is Russ Miller's article. Now it is time to talk about something that I will happily admit I don't really get. So you're going to have to break this thing down for me. Now, were you the one to review the Soundbrenner metronome? I thought you were talking about Simon Phillips. (laughs) I was and I am because we're going to talk about Simon Phillips right now. If I would read the rundown in the correct order, (laughs) you thought I was saying that I don't really get Simon Phillips. That's awesome. Dang, I don't really get like the beast drums on the side. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm just going to come out swinging. I got (laughs) to be honest, it doesn't do it for me. Not a big fan. Oh, Anyways, man. go ahead and talk about him. Okay, so we'll get to the soundbrenner metronome in a second. <laughs> but for now, let's talk about Simon Phillips. This is somebody I do get because he was part of the DCI video series back in the day. That's right, the original uh, ones. I I kind of feel like maybe he had a red kit. Uh, uh, I'm trying to remember the uh, video. but It might have been wine red. Wine red, either that or white. But either way, I remember he had a big drum set. So as a child, I was like, "Well, he has to be good because mm-hmm. that's a lot of drums, and you can't <laughs> you can't have that many drums and not be good." Because I was seven, uh. um, so you and I were talking a little bit before the podcast started. We we're going down his resume, and geez, Louise, dude's just done it all.
1: Yeah, I mean, talk about someone who had no other path in life. He was he was playing professionally at age twelve with his father's band, and then gosh nineteen seventy six so he would have been nineteen years old. He played on a Brian Eno and Phil Manzera record um and then he went on to play with Jeff Beck the who Judas priest here's for Her fears um Gary Moore he replaced i mean he was Jeff Picarro's the guy who joined Toto after Jeff Picarro passed away. I mean he's kind of been every- you know top of top of the heap of big gigs since he was seventeen years old. Yeah, man. that's unbelievable. I mean, it's, I'm I'm just reading this. And
0: I'm like, oh my god.
1: Yeah, and we we were talking a little bit before the show that if if you and I were a decade older, I think it'd be no question. Obviously, Simon Phillips is one of the greatest drummers of all time. But you know, it's I think that '70s, early '80s era was when he kind of was the guy. But he's maintained an amazing career. Um, I mean, he just left Toto how many years ago? Not long ago. Just four uh four years ago. Yeah. So yep. I mean he still had that. 2014. Gig. Um but he's 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 kind of pursuing his own thing. He's doing um a band called Protocol, which is his own um project. So he left Toto to, to focus on his own thing. So maybe he decided I'm done with playing other people's music and right. I'm gonna do my own <laughs> No <thing."> more fallback <laughs>
0: plans for Simon <laughs> Phillips. he's like I'm taking a <laughs> chance on myself, rolling the <laughs> dice. I don't care if Mike Johnston doesn't get it. Um, so one thing I want to do, uh, just so our listeners can hear who we're talking about, I think that anytime someone mentions, I don't really know who Simon Phillips is, almost every time without fail, somebody shoves Space Boogie in your face. Yeah, we got to drop because that. Because it's it's kind of iconic. So let's, uh, let's give this, this is Jeff Beck's Space Boogie with uh, Simon Phillips on drums.
1: That double bass shuffle. Now, I hear a lot of Billy Cobham influence going on there, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Which I think is fair to say that Billy Cobham was a huge influence on Simon because this track came out in 1980, and you know, the Movish orchestra stuff was years prior to that. But Simon Phillips was was a little bit before that. Simon Phillips was 23 years old when he laid down that
0: massively confident groove. (laughs) That is unreal, unreal. I mean, just yeah, that's and then you know you can hear that like right when you hear that you kind of if you don't know the years you think like oh so did he steal that from hot for teacher right (laughs) no 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 that's not not how the timeline worked uh it's that's pretty incredible it is that's incredible if he's 33 43 53 actually it's way more incredible at 63 because it's like can you go back and play that like no i'm good (laughs) man I have to do Pilates on Wednesday. Uh, yeah, that's that's still one of those tunes where I listen to it. Now, have you ever tried to play that song? I can't. Personally?
1: I've, I've, over the years, I've tried to learn a double bass shuffle, and it just doesn't feel right to me. So I just yeah. gave up on it. <laughs> I just quit. I've, every once in a while, someone will call Hot For Teacher to, at a cover gig, and I'm like, nah, we ain't doing nah, it. We're good. We ain't doing yeah. it. Yeah. I don't like the song and I don't want to play it. So, and I, I can't think
0: play that it. if I, I think since I don't play double bass at all, I think if I played singles purposely, I could flub them into that shuffle. But mm-hmm. I'd be trying to play straight and then I just wait for my feet to give out to the starts going <laughs> blah, 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 No, I mean, that that thing is just unreal. It's relentless too. It, go, it's, it just keeps going and going and going. And uh, one thing I'm always listening to when I'm listening to complicated grooves like that is when they leave the groove to, to play a fill or something or to improvise how long does it take for them to reestablish the feel that was happening before they left it and every time he comes out of a fill hits the crash that feel and that clarity is right there I mean mm-hmm. it's it's impressive stuff yes. uh, so yeah and I, I can't even imagine how many of our current fusion drummers were influenced by that song and by that performance yeah. and by Simon's drumming in general
1: yeah I think of Rod Morgenstein I mean kind of all the, the heroes of the 80s they, they all had to have been checking out Simon Phillips
0: totally and i mean Uh, probably virgil must have been into that yeah
1: exactly i mean how could you not be Uh, yeah for me the reason that i never went full on simon phillips mode was just the size of the drum kit i'm like okay i'm not going to go that world of having a humongous kit yeah so i just completely love and respect what he does but i'm like okay i'm not going to learn left hand lead or complete ambidexterity the way he does and Got to have
0: all these Toms. So that
1: was the one thing that kind of kept me from going into a It's this,
0: Yeah. And I, I think that that's something that we need to give people more freedom to do. You can respect something and not want to do it. Uh, yeah. I, I'm in the same boat. I, I saw – I mean, around that same time, Rod had his – dvd or his videotape come out simon had his uh dennis chambers had his and yeah there were drummers where i just said like well that's not what i wish i was doing so i'm just going to sit back and appreciate it almost not even as a drummer just as a human being i just appreciate it yeah Um, but one thing that i do love is that uh, you sent me a link of simon phillips doing a solo on the 2017 uk drum show and that's i was thinking wait a minute that's last year yeah. The dude is still doing it, still yeah. killing it. And what I really dig about it is you're not watching some throwback to the late 70s and 80s. Like He's doing his thing right now. Like yeah. you said, he's got a new project and he's still a, a modern drummer, which is fantastic. You want to check that out? The song that I actually love him is playing
1: on the most is a Pete Soundson record called uh, "Give yeah. Blood. You want to drop that in check it out?
0: Let's check it out. Dude's relentless. I mean, you can see why, you can see why he was able to take over for Jeff when Jeff passed away because it's it he's kind of picking right up where yeah. they left off. Yeah, the know?
1: clarity. I think that yep. track to me appeals to kind of what I'm more into, which is just playing a strong, clean groove with just like relentless, you know, just accuracy. And the sound is great. It's got that. That '80s sound that I, I've always loved, with just the right amount of plate reverb on the snare and stuff.
0: I love <laughs> just it. Just the right amount, right? I kidding? love it, man. <laughs> that Which is means like... you can never
1: go too far with it, in my mind. <laughs> uh,
0: I love it. Uh, that was the first. I was like, Is there a snare or is that just reverb? <laughs> but I get it, man. I get it. That's your jam. And uh, but the playing. I mean, I could see literally how that just goes from straight from Picaro right into that. The other thing that I think needs to be mentioned is we're looking at somebody that has accomplished just about everything that can be accomplished in our industry yet when you see him speak on stage, I mean he's just so polite, well spoken you don't get this, you get a, a slight air of confidence that he has because he's a professional musician but no arrogance whatsoever and I, I respect that just as much as the playing
1: Yeah, he's, he's very particular, he did play the the Modern Drummer Festival uh, headlined it one of the last years and he was the most particular about his drum kit I've Oh, of really? Oh, wow, yeah. okay. I mean, he had to have uh, hotel room towels. Like, that was all he would accept for his drum muffling for his bass drums. Really? It had to be white hotel towels. So we had to go back to the hotel. Wow. And, you know, uh, he, you know, he had to change all the heads on his 8,000 drums. And Right. <laughs> very particular. Very, very particular. Very particular. particular. <laughs> That's funny, man.
0: Well, I, I you know. I got to say, when you're at a level where everyone is expecting everything you do to be flawless, yeah. because you've set out those expectations by being flawless in the past. You know, uh, yeah. I think you and I have created a vibe with social media and with the people that follow us that we are human, we flub, we make mistakes. So I'm not that particular because it's like, dude, if I mess up, the crowd will accept it. They're on board with me. It's, yeah. it's a journey. When <laughs> Dave Weckl messes up, no one accepts it. I mean, that would be social mm. media bananas if if Dave dropped a stick. I you know. I've never seen it. Never seen. I've it. never seen it. I've seen him like ten times. I've never <laughs> seen him drop a stick. <laughs> I'd lose my mind. I'd throw my sushi right at the stage from Yoshi's. What the hell are you doing, That's Dave? That's because you
1: and uh, I have fallback plans.
0: <laughs> <laughs> my fallback plan is that I drop sticks, and I'm not very good I'm at I'm okay drums. with it. I'll
1: drop a stick, and I'm like, ah, oh, I'm not a drummer anyway. Who cares? <laughs> exactly,
0: totally. I'm just a teacher. I don't even really do this. I'm actually teaching history on the side. Uh, so, yeah, So I, I, I could kind of see that as like, okay, if you want the best that I can give, I need it to be... I need this. I need my home kit to be replicated exactly. So, yeah. uh, w- once again, uh, before we move on to the thing that I <laughs> started talking about, <laughs> Simon, I totally get you, man. Uh, what What is his new project? Protocol. Um, let's see.
1: It. I think he just put a awesome. record out. He had a record out. Protocol Four is the. I think that's the latest record. There might be another one out by now. But yeah, that was what we did. A little story on him in the July issue based on that. Yeah, cuz he left Toto and then, you know, he toured with A-Romy for a while and it more okay. of a jazz kind of a, a thing, so he's, you sure. know, composing his own music and
0: focusing on his own vibe. So, I dig it. Love it. Awesome. All right, let's get into this our gear review. So, we're talking about the Soundbrenner Pulse Metronome. So, I think man, I'm trying to remember when I first saw this, probably a year ago or so, was when it started making the rounds on social media yep. and then I kind of thought, okay, it's here, it's gone, no big deal. Then all of a sudden, I saw it with John Robinson, Jr., mm-hmm. and I thought, oh, okay, it's it, this is a real thing, and I took it a little bit more seriously. So, explain. I'm assuming it's a metronome that you wear and it pulses, so you feel the pulse rather than hear it. That's before, exactly what it in? is. Yeah, okay. Essentially, it takes
1: the I don't I don't know what the technology is, but it's it's similar to like a, a cell phone on vibrate. It's got a okay. a rhythmic pulse that and I think the app, you can actually have it beep as well, but if you just wear, it's like a wristwatch or it has like a shoulder band. So you can wear it on your back or on your leg or, Oh wow. Um, different places. But I think the app itself is just like a metronome. It just functions as a normal metronome, but it can also control the device with, uh, wirelessly. Um, I did try it out. Uh, we did review it in July issue. I didn't write the review. Um, It was neat for me personally. I I have been so used to hearing a beep that for me to then kind of recalibrate my time to a a pulsation was a little a feel. Yeah, was I couldn't really kind of determine the the point to the to the not the not like it's pointless, but the point of the pulse. You know, I couldn't like with a beep I can hear like the the exact point of it, but when it's something vibrating, it kind of became a nebulous. Like, where does it start? Okay. Which I guess could be good if you want to have, you know, less of a real strict sense of time and just more of a reference. That could right. be cool. I,
0: you-, you know, I wonder, too, how many, God, because I've been teaching my whole life and I've, I've never had to deal with this, but there's got to be a decent amount of deaf drummers out there because they it'd be the one instrument that they could feel the vibrations of the instrument. Yeah, and true. I could imagine, or if you were somebody that lost your hearing later in life, but you had always had the ability to hear, I could totally see like, okay, well now I know if I'm rushing or dragging. Yeah. Um, yeah. True. And, and, I think and it maybe would, if you have I mean, tinnitus
1: too, it could probably be something. I'm sure if you have tinnitus, mm-hmm. you don't want a metronome just beeping a high frequency beep for three hours in your ear.
0: Yeah. it's a good point. Yeah. I think uh, you'd have to almost do a study on people that use this from day one. And then people use a metronome on day one. Like who, who has better time when you take those two devices away? Uh, that would be uh, a good. W- that
1: would be good. A good test because, like I said, for me, this didn't give me enough definitive sense of where the tempo was to feel like I could kind of rely on it. It was more like, all right, let me check back in. Oh yeah, I'm still with it. Mm-hmm. Kind of a thing. Yeah,
0: yeah. I wonder too. Like, I mean, if you're in a I could see a lot of gigging drummers who don't play to a click and can't stand having any sort of headphones or in ears on the gig. I could totally see this. You know, you've got your 70s cover band and you've been playing with your boys forever and you're not about to put in in ears while you play the bar gig. And then it's like, but they keep telling you you're rushing and dragging, then I could see this being something that'd be really helpful. Yeah. Um, I mean,
1: maybe even yeah. for start and stopping, you know, just to get references at the beginning of songs, rather than having a Dr. Beat right. clicking super loud yeah. on stage, you could have this thing yeah. just tap on you on your, on your wrist. You
0: know? <laughs> do you remember, do you remember those videos that came out of Paul McCartney's band with Abe Laborio jr. Smashing the Tama rhythm watch against his head <laughs> and like, like he's playing like arenas and stadiums and it's like, and then he's just count the banner. I'm like, that is so awesome. No, not was, good for really, your ears at all. <laughs> no, no. So I, I could see that as well. And especially if you're somebody that's not very handy with electronics and you're the one that always puts the metronome through the PA because you use the wrong channel. <laughs> <laughs> and so the crowd hears your Yamaha thing go, one, two. <laughs> like, sorry about that okay so you all heard that well now that you know what the tempo is why don't you clap us in uh so very cool now do you know what the what this thing costs yeah the well the app is free but the
1: the pulse device is um 99
0: okay now the app though it is a standalone metronome app, right? It is, yeah. It's Even a though, metronome app.
1: It's a, just because a I know a
0: lot of app. people actually tell me that they use the Soundbrenner app and they don't have the Soundbrenner device. That's their metronome app. Yeah, they prefer yeah, that. You don't that need that it.
1: App. But then, if you wanted to add this thing as something ex, you know, extra for it, uh, it's hundred bucks. You can get five of them for four forty nine. The strap thing that you could put the the uh, pulse on your back or shoulder is thirty bucks, but it comes with the wristwatch band.
0: Okay, and I'm going to assume that the five is not because you're putting one on all your limbs and have a spare. It's so that your band can have them. <laughs> I mean, I need a little more explanation here, Dawson. <laughs> What's going on? There's the yeah, one, on your neck. one for your Yeah, I was going to say, one on your neck, and then each limb gets one. I'm assuming it's so that your band and they're, they're all synced together. Yeah, yeah, they will all sync together from one. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. You're at 128. I'm at 132. Bass player, I'm gonna put you at 90. Oh, Let's see what happens.
1: Goodness. My left Very foot cool. my left. Yeah, no. Yeah, you can get one for your whole band. That's the whole the whole idea. <laughs>
0: I just <laughs> Like, I could just see, like, the the <laughs> the wrong drummer at the gig guy. Not that specific guy. But I could just see, like, <laughs> a guy that's just not quite on top of his game, and he didn't know. <laughs> and you just walk in, I'm like, dude, are you wearing <laughs> five soundbrenners? <laughs> that's kind of one that's on insane. each hand, one yeah, on each exactly. angle, and one somewhere One on the neck. <laughs> yeah. Easy. <laughs> Chili peppers. All right. Let's uh, get into some of your questions. By the way, you guys can check out mm. that. Uh, so that's the soundbrenner pulse metronome all right listener question time all
1: right first one is pardon me um this one comes from andrew he says my question is about match grip specifically the left hand i noticed that anna Nillis plays without her full pointer finger wrapped around the stick Um, i thought it was just her thing then i noticed that mike dawson does a similar thing when i was watching a snare demo demo of a sugar percussion mahogany snare is that a specific mm-hmm. type of match grip? Does it have any advantages? Um, I always keep all digits wrapped around the stick. Hmm. This now, is an
0: important thing.
1: I think for me, if you look at my right hand versus my left hand, you'll get two totally different fulcrums when I'm playing anything that has rim shots and a backbeat. Yep. <clears throat> my right hand is very, I'm, I try to be very conscious of having the first finger wrapped around so I can activate that trigger joint for delicate stuff. If I'm smacking rim shots, then my fulcrum slips back into my middle finger and thumb, and the first finger is just kind of there to kind of help guide it. Um, Yep. That's, you know, but if I do rolls, you also see probably in those videos, if I do any kind of rolls on the drum, that first finger gets activated. Gets activated, It's a very fluid, for me, fulcrums are very fluid. I kind of go with whichever one I need to do what I need to do at that moment. Uh, Anika might have a totally different explanation. But for me, if I'm hitting hard rim shots, it's going to damage my index finger to have it wrapped around that stick. So, I'm in the same boat. Yeah, I think it's pretty common. I think probably most people yeah, do that. It,
0: it also gives you a, a fatter sound when you take that first finger off because now the stick is about an inch longer than it was uh, as far as from the fulcrum moving forward. So it's a it's a thicker sound. And yeah, and then I've always said... My grooves, left hand is thumb and second finger, and my chops, it's uh, thumb and first finger. Yeah, yeah, then, exactly. I would think similar. And then pretty much the right hand is almost <laughs> always thumb and first finger because I'm doing everything, you know, ding, a ding, ding a ding kind of delicate there. I don't want like a clonk clonk <laughs> yeah. as my first finger is just hanging out. So, all right, cool. next question. Next one comes from Andrew. I have a question. About sure? Two Andrews in a row? Yeah, first
1: one was Andrew, right, I believe you. I believe you. Andrew Lully, and this one is Andrew Amy. Nice. And they have different email addresses, so it's not the same person. So this is from Andrew <laughs> number two. I have a question about balancing working on strengths versus weaknesses when faced with limited practice time. I've been playing drums for about 25 years. While I have taken private lessons, most of that time was self-taught. I've had plenty of serious formal music training on jazz saxophone, which was my main instrument. Coming from a melodic background, my main strengths as a drummer is being able to hold a steady groove, listen to the other musicians, and subtly adapt to them without ever playing. My weaknesses are most of the things that a drummer's drummer seems to love. I've never pushed rudiment tempos, flashy fills, etc. beyond what I have felt applied to my playing. So the final bit of the question, would you recommend focusing my practice time on refining my strengths and the skills that are most relevant to my current performance situations, or should I try to address more of my weaknesses as a player? He has about 30 minutes behind the kit on a good day.
0: I would say the second part of his question, he said, should I focus on what he's um, already good at, his strengths? And then he said, and what is needed for the things that i want to do on the drums and the gig and i think that that's what you need to be focusing on whether it's a strength or a weakness if there's things on the gig that you're weak at and you want to be gigging you should focus on those and if there's i think you should be focused on whatever is getting you closer to doing what you want to do Uh, i i don't think i don't subscribe to the fact that because drummers play double bass and i'm not good at it that i need to work on it mm-hmm. um until it became something that either i wish i could do or i had a gig that required it yep. but there's no reason to waste my time with it when it's not in that it's not in that world that i want to get better at um but at the same time i don't run away from my weaknesses just because they're not fun to work on if it's related to what i'm trying to do then i put in the time yeah i mean i think i 100 agree i
1: think one thing to be cautious of, I think if having the strength of being able to listen and have a sense of musicality, that'll never go away. Uh, just saying, okay, I've got my time under control. I don't have to worry about it anymore. That could be risky. I, you can always refine your sense of time and your accuracy. So that's something I would right. practice every day, no matter how good your time is. It can always be better. Uh, and then for me, it's always, well, what's the one thing that I suck at the most that I really need to be
0: able to do? And then that kind exactly. of shapes my practicing. Exactly, and if you're playing in a situation where chops and what what uh, Andrew said as drummers think is cool is frowned upon, why would you even want to get good at it? Like, yeah, if that's not what you wish you were doing, don't do it. So um, we celebrate the hell out of Steve Jordan for going flat tap 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 <laughs> and we're like, oh my god, it's the best fill that ever lived, <laughs> um, you know. And it's like, well, it is because he loves it so much and he cares about those notes so much, um, so. That's all it comes down to.
1: All right, last question is from Stuart. How do I develop my listening skills as a teacher? I teach drums at a secondary school in the UK and often feel I'm talking an awful lot during a lesson with a student trying to pack in as much information as possible. I'm aware sometimes that lessons are a bit one sided. I try to ask engaging questions, but I'm sometimes met with a wall of silence. How do I foster a healthy dialogue between the teacher and student
0: with teenagers? you won't <laughs> <laughs> Oh that's so awesome. Um, yeah, you have to you have to be empathetic and go back in time to you being a teenager and also realize there's there's going to be one to maybe two of your students that are uh, as into drums as you were at that time. This is a hobby. they you know, you you can look down your list. Let's say you have 50 students. You can look down your list and go, okay, those four, I can't wait till they come in today or tomorrow because that's like teaching a young version of me. They're so passionate. They're so geeked out about drums. They'll, Hell, they'll probably show me something that I wasn't aware of. Mm-hmm. That's rare. Usually it's you just kind of pulling them along and trying to stoke the fire and keep them engaged so they'll keep playing this instrument because really what you're waiting for is you're waiting for the bug to bite them. And sometimes that has to do with things outside of your control. A drummer's first gig is something that could turn them into a drummer, where they're like, okay, I just had a taste of the stage. I want to do this for the rest of my life. A drummer's first time playing with other drum buddies could be something that stokes that fire. And these are all things you can't really control, and you're just teaching them and waiting for that moment that they come in with the fire. Um, so, so, yeah, I think you also have to give them things that are um, – accomplishable within a week's time Mm. and you also need to be very well aware of their life schedule because a week of you practicing when you were obsessed with the drums may be very different than this person who's squeezing drums in between soccer practice and drama club and homework and everything else so
1: yeah i mean i think back on myself as a student i was I was a very good student. I mean, I took school very seriously. I took my lessons very seriously. I never volunteered. I never spoke out. I never raised my hand. I never asked a question. I never made eye contact with my teacher. <laughs> but I was absorbing every single thing they said. So okay, yeah, in, so you're an observer. Yeah. So you can't you can't assume that just because a student is maybe shy or introverted that they're not totally into what you're doing. Um, yeah. Sometimes we kind of confuse that, like in ent- the outward enthusiasm with, man, that's a great student. Well, maybe, or maybe they're just, they just can't stop talking.
0: Yeah. I mean, I definitely knew when I was, would be looking at my schedule and it's the same in camps, but when I look at my schedule and saw, okay, for the next half hour, I'm going to have to carry this entire thing. Cause this person just doesn't talk and it's like, that's fine. It's not, that's who they are. And then on the next one. This person's going to come in and just start rattling off about their day for 15 minutes and waste 15 minutes of their lesson. I'm going to have to curtail it and be like, you know what? Let's work on your independence. Can you tell me that same story while we're doing paradiddles? (laughs) Let's see if you can keep your paradiddles together while you're talking. Uh, So (laughs) tell me your address while we do flamadiddles. So yeah, so I think you just have to kind of be empathetic to the situation. And then like Mike said, just realize that each student is that is a, is an individual journey. Yeah. So, uh, send your questions in to mdinfo at modern drummer.com.
1: And it's time to get to our picks of the week. I might change mine. So why don't you go first?
0: I was just going to tell you to go first. Cause I, I have to grab it cause it's over there and I don't know what the name of it is. Um, so, uh, right. you can edit this out. Hold on. <laughs> So these are about to be lifesavers for me when I go uh, overseas. So this is a little zip-up baggie, almost like a toiletry bag, um, by a company called Think Tank. And you can see as I put my hand through here... That it is see through in the front, so the front of it is like this clear plastic, and then it's this really hardcore nylon material. So the bags are called; uh, they're made by a company called Think Tank, and they are for cables and adapters. Oh, and cool. you can buy different sizes. So now I have a bag of adapters, and I have a bag of USB cables to go from my interface into my laptop. And so I have a cable bag and an adapter bag, and then I have a drum parts bag, and all of those go into these little things, and then they go straight into my backpack. And now when I get overseas and I'm kind of freaking out like, oh, my God, I can't believe I didn't bring a quarter to eighth inch adapter for my in-ears, I go to my adapter's bag, and I can see into the bag without opening up and digging around and throwing things on the ground. Um, So, yeah, they're fairly affordable. I found these through the people that I follow online for cinematography, and this is how they separate their USB cables from their HDMI cables and everything. Uh, So the bags are from a company called Think Tank, and they're just incredibly well-made. So if you're somebody that carries a lot of bits and bops and wish you could kind of see into it, uh, these are great. Just good travel bags. And also, too, when you're traveling, you don't have to worry about tsa rummaging through all of your things because uh, they can see right into it so you put so all the of whole, that
1: that stuff in with your luggage or you have a separate bag for all the electronics and stuff
0: this uh everything goes i have a actual um a bag by a company called vanguard that is an actual camera backpack and has compartments for the camera body i keep my um my interface with me in that bag okay. and it's all in compartments these have compartments in the bag and then the, the top of the backpack folds open and that's where i keep my in-ears and you know power bars and all that kind of stuff so i get all right
1: yeah, my, my pick of the week is it's a drum that i've had forever that i finally got reacquainted with that i think okay uh, everyone should go get one if you can find one it's a Slingolin solid maple from the 60s it's called the artist series Slingerland Artist. It's a 55 by 14 maple, solid maple. It's basically a Radio King without it being tagged as a Radio King, so you don't have to pay that much. I think you can still find them $250 to $400 range. Um, so find them and nab them, because they sound amazing. They're they're basically like what Craviato and all these, these steam-bent shell companies are trying to recreate, is the Slingerland sound. Uh, they all have rounded bearing edges, so it's kind of become my f- favorite, like classic sounding wood snare. Um, just in the past week, I'm like, dang, this drum! I forgot how awesome it is. So
0: that's awesome. I just found one them. on uh, Chicago Music Exchange for 425. I mean, it's in immaculate condition in a blue sparkle. Um, yeah, that's what I have. Yep. Nice, um, Very yeah, cool. So
1: the, the the trick is to find the one with the solid maple because they also did the 3-ply which they're they sound great too but it's a different that's a different vibe. That's way more vintagey. The solid maple ones, they just they sound awesome. Real thick, nice, thick dense kind of sound. So grab them up before someone else does. <laughs> you won't be disappointed. <laughs> yeah, there was one awesome. for 400 on on Reverb that just sold. Oh boy. Yeah. Uh, so the prices are going up they're going up unfortunately but
0: don't feed the addiction all right buddy well i'm gonna get to camp my band is playing for the campers oh i didn't even get to tell you my guitarist dino is in this camp taking this camp as a drummer i remember you saying he played pretty good drums yeah, he's in the advanced camp and he's hanging and you can see the depression fall over the other campers' faces when he <laughs> nails something where they're like, He's not even a drummer. And I'm like, <laughs> he's he's been programming drums his whole life. He's pretty smart. Um Yeah, so and he's doing really, really well. That's it's, cool. It's and he it, you can just see like how stoked he is to be a part of our crew because guitarists are a different breed yeah and they don't want to show each other anything (laughs) totally and his his vibe is much more drummer like and so he's like this is different than anything i've ever experienced i can't believe how nice you guys are when i do well i mean Mm -hmm. they may be a little like jealous for a second but they're pretty (laughs) damn supportive um and so yeah it's it's really cool um he's he's hanging in there just fine but i'm a little worried he hasn't touched a guitar in like three days since he's been at camp and now we got to perform for the campers it's like dude you know you still know how to play that thing right he's this... gonna start tapping with a stick on it or something <laughs> totally like, we got to drop some heat for these guys <laughs> so all right buddy we'll have an amazing day and uh, i will talk to you next week all right well we got to talk about george sending us out here so here's our outro beat this is george he's playing at gretch
1: broadcaster 12 16 22 Woo! with a gretch usa 5x14 5, 5, uh, it Just says a snare with a ribbed mahogany outer ply. I'm not sure what's. And maybe it's a broadcaster as well, or is that the It was USA a special custom? edition.
0: It was a special edition they did. Um, okay. I think it is a USA custom, but they, okay. they made a whole kit out of it. But he has the snare, so that's, so cool. that's the, the gum and
1: maple. Uh, yep, yep. Some you know, minor Byzance, uh, nuance ride. Never heard that before. 15 inch dual hats. Recorded with a handheld Tascam recorder, three feet away, three feet off the ground, pointing that to hit. That's George. Alright, now we'll see you go go teach. <laughs>